there's a very beautiful uh, Rashi here, which I think gives us one of the secrets to understanding the whole Parsha. You know, Korach, I think you could say, is the polar opposite of Aharon, right? We know that when Aharon was told that Moshe was going to be the leader of the Jewish people, Moshe was afraid of that encounter. In fact, we have the famous story of Moshe and God arguing for seven days over God is trying to convince Moshe that he should be the leader of the Jewish people. And Moshe is like, no, no, no. And one of Moshe's objections is that Aaron, his older brother, he should be the one. Now, we don't hear too much about Aaron before that. So it's just like, oh, he's the older brother. Let him do it. But, you know, Aaron was a prophet. He himself was a prophet. We saw that in Rashi back in Exodus, where Rashi quoted from the prophets, books of the prophets, that, uh, that there was a prophet in Egypt and that referred to Aaron because Moshe was not in Egypt at that time. He was out in Midian. So Aaron was a prophet himself. And the fact that he's being skipped over, so to speak, and the leadership is going to Moshe, his younger brother, Moshe justifiably, it would seem, is thinking this is going to be, Aaron's not going to be too happy about it. Now, when it comes to um, jealousy, right? So Karach is the, is the epitome of jealousy where he's jealous that Aaron is the high priest. He wants to be the high priest and he's the epitome of jealousy because he actually acts upon it and creates this whole rebellion all stemming from his jealousy. But there's another level of jealousy that is not um, you know, the polar opposite of Korach. And that is somebody who is jealous, but he doesn't say anything. He keeps it to himself. And he does certainly doesn't start a rebellion. So, but this, in a way, this this second character is in the same uh, league as Korach. He just hasn't taken it taken it to to an extent that Korach has taken it. The polar opposite of Korach would be someone who is not just not jealous, but somebody who is in fact happy for the other person. And who is that? That's Aaron. So when Aaron hears that Moshe is going to be the, the, the leader, what is his reaction? Not only is he not jealous to start a rebellion, not, not only is he not jealous and stays quiet, not only is he not jealous, period, he is happy, he's excited for Moshe. That is the polar opposite of Korach. And we see that in this Rashi right here, we were up to, we left off yesterday. This is verse eight. In chapter 18, verse 8 of chapter 18 says, God said to Aaron, Va'ani, as for me, behold, I, and the word that Rashi is going to comment on is this word, Hine, which in the English translation has as behold or look. Hine, uh, here you go. That's how it would be used in, in modern Hebrew. Hine, here it is. The word behold, why does it, Torah use the word, why does God use the word hine over here, behold? Could easily have just said, I have given you the charge of my gift. Why does it say behold? So let's finish the verse first and we'll see what Rashi says. Behold, I have given you the charge of my gift offerings for all of the holies of the Bnei Yisrael. I've given to you as for distinction and for your children. Says Rashi, what does it mean? Hine nasati l'cha. Says Rashi, 
with joy, that this is something to do with joy. Now, where do we know that hine, behold, is an expression of joy? Says Rashi, where do we prove it? From Exodus 4.14, where it says, when God told Moshe, you think that Aaron is going to be upset when he hears that you've been appointed the leader? Farkert. To the contrary, he's going out. Behold, he will go out towards you when you're coming from Egypt. He's going to see you. He's going to rejoice in his heart. So we see this word being used in the context of joy. Now Rashi gives a mashal. A mashal is a Mashal is a metaphor. He says, Lamelech, there was a king that gave a field to his good friend. He didn't write any documentation and he didn't sign anything and did not record it in court. So somebody comes along, fellow comes along and he starts contesting the ownership. So the Melech says, the king says, whoever wants to contest this, let him come and contest. Um, let him come and contest against you. I'm going to write it. I'm going to sign it, and I'm going to I'm going to record it in court. So that's what the king says. Now, similarly, here God is the king, and Aharon is the good friend. So it says Korach came along and he contested against Aharon regarding the priesthood. So the verse comes along and gives gives um, Aaron and his descendants 24 gifts of priesthood with a covenant like that of salt, as we shall soon see uh, this concept of the salt. We'll explain that in a moment. And this is why, says Rashi, this is why this, this Parsha that we're about to read, which is all about the gifts, the 24 types of gifts, even though it doesn't list them all, the 24 types of gifts that, the, that are given to the Kohanim is mentioned here. Now, it seems to be out of place because it should go back in Leviticus where we talked about the um, the laws of the, of the sacrifices because many of these come from the sacrifices. Why is it here in this Parsha, part of the story? That is, as Rashi explains, because there was a cont- contesting of the Kohuna. God is saying this is his way of writing it and sealing it and, 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 and recording it in court so that nobody will again come and contest Aaron's priesthood. Verse 9, These shall be yours from the holiest of holies from the fire. Now Rashi will tell us that from the fire should not be taken literally. It doesn't mean you should be taking anything from the fire that is on the altar, because whatever goes up on the altar to the fire, that is supposed to be burnt. So what does it mean from the fire? Says Rashi, after the burning of the sacrificial parts, when does the, do are the Kohanim, and for the same, for the same, um, the same is true of the owners, the parts that they eat from the, from the sacrifice, they are only allowed to partake of it once the sacrificial parts have been burnt, or at least once they've started to burn on the Mizbeach, on the altar. Let's read, move on, go on in the verse. All their offerings, their meal offerings, their sin offerings, their guilt offerings. So all of these offerings have a certain part of them that go to the Kohen. And the Kohen gets to eat, and some of it goes on the altar, 
Some of it goes to the coin. In some cases, the owner also gets a piece of it. But here the Torah is focusing on the fact that the coin is going to get a piece of all these various types of offerings. Obviously, what's not here is the all-consuming offering, which nobody gets a part of, all goes to the altar. They shall be holy of holies to you and to your, and to your sons. Now here, Rashi um, focuses on this word, what they return to me. What is being returned? The sacrifice are not being returned. Some way, some commentators want to say, yes, that what we give to God is not really giving. We're not giving. Giving means you, something that is yours, you give to somebody else. But in this case, it's really whenever we give to God is really returning to God since everything comes from God and belongs to God. But Rashi explains it differently. Rashi says what they return to me refers to a specific situation, which is the stolen property of a proselyte of a convert. Now, what does that have to do with anything? The, the, as we learned back in Leviticus, um, maybe it was numbers, the, the law is that when a, a, a person who has no ears, if somebody was something was stolen from him and then he dies and he has no ears, so that could be the, the, the case, it would be of a convert since he is, he's, he doesn't have any ears, he doesn't have any relatives among the Jewish people, if he hasn't had children, etc. So he, the what where is this property going to go? This property that's been stolen, stolen from the convert, and now he, he's passed away and he has no ears. Where is this property going to go? That goes to the Kohen. And that's hinted to in the words, Asher Yeshivuli, that they will return to me, returning that which was stolen from the ger. As Rashi says it, Zegezalagir, this is that which is stolen from the ger. Now, these offerings have to be eaten in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Rashi tells us it doesn't mean the Holy of Holies where the Ark is. It refers to the courtyard. That's where it has to be eaten by the male Kohanim. It should be considered holy. Now, in verse 11, it talks about certain um, offerings that were waived. That Those were different types of offerings. Those are given to the sons and the daughters. And... Here the Torah also says, so any pure person in your household can eat it. Rashi says that tells us that it includes um, the Kohen's wife, even though the Kohen's wife may not be a descendant of Aaron, but since she is married into the family, she is allowed to eat from the uh, holy offerings. Verse 12. In verse 12, so until so now we've been dealing with parts of the animal sacrifices that go to the coin. Now the Torah shifts in verse 12 to a different type, and those include many different types of, of gifts among the 24. Now the Torah shifts in verse 12 to talk about a produce that has to be given to the coin, and that, as Rashi tells us, is truma gidola, the, the truma, which is a portion of the produce that is given to the coin. And where does that come from? That comes from the oil, it comes from the wine, it comes from the grain the first of which they give to the Lord. And how do you give it to the Lord? The Lord says, give it to me, and He's giving, and God is giving it to the Kohen. Number 13 talks about the Bikurim, the first fruits, which we bring on Shabbat from your land. Uh, that also is going to go to the Kohen. 14, kol cheirem Israel, any devoted thing, anything that's been um, donated shall be... Um, shall be given to the Kohanim. In verse 15, it talks about the firstborn 
firstborn humans, the firstborn animals. In some cases, they have to be given to the coin. In some cases, they have to be redeemed. So the firstborn human has to be redeemed. And the firstborn non-kosher animal, the donkey, has to be redeemed. Um, in verse 17, we'll see the animals that have to be actually given to the coin. They cannot be redeemed. When is this? This is from uh, and when it comes to the human um, firstborn, that is after 30 days, after a month. And how much is it? It's five shekels. Reviewing things that we've had in the Torah in the past, this is one of the 24 gifts of the Kohen. Verse 17, we see the animals, the kosher animals, they cannot be redeemed. They are holy. They're, they are offered on the Mizbeach, on the altar. And the flesh from the Bechor, from the, the firstborn kosher animal, goes to the Kohen. Um, I want to get to this verse. Oh, here it is. Verse 19. All of these are given, I'm giving to you and to your daughters for a your children, your sons and your daughters forever. And there the Torah uses an interesting expression, bris melach oilam. It's like an eternal covenant of salt before the Lord. How did salt come in over here? For you and your descendants with you. So let's look at Rashi. Rashi has um, a very interesting comment here. And he uh, he points out that because of the affection that God has for this section, for the, for the message of this section, which is the gifts to Aaron and his descendants, God has a, a general statement at the beginning which we had back, I think, in verse 8, and a general statement at the end to kind of sum it up, and in the middle has all the details. And as the commentaries explain, whenever there's kind of a general statement, it's either at the beginning or at the end. It's very uncommon, or maybe this is the only one, I don't know, that the Torah has both an introductory general statement and at the end a general summation. And what is that? why would that happen? That is because this is something very precious, to God, and therefore it is expressed in this way. So that's a very interesting idea. And the second thing we see in Rashi is why is it called a covenant of salt? It says Rashi, that God makes this uh, covenant with Aaron and calls it salt because salt is something that is wholesome and lasting, and keeps other things wholesome. And this is kind of a a, a metaphor for this idea that first of all that it's forever, right? And that's Rashi says in the next Rashi Kibrisa just like there's a covenant with salt. The way God designed salt is that it should never spoil. Similarly, the fact that the Kohanim are Kohanim and the priesthood goes to Aaron and his descendants, that is something that is forever. It cannot be, it will never spoil. And this is being reiterated now in the story of Korach. Now um, obviously, there's also a metaphor here of the connection of Aaron and salt that uh, in the Rashi we just learned before, that it's something that is wholesome itself and keeps other things wholesome. So this seems to be a metaphor for the job of the Kohanim is that they have to live a very holy and spiritual life and in that way keep the other, the rest of the Jewish people, uh, holy, as we talked about yesterday, this synergy between the Kohanim and the rest of the people. I think there's also going back to the way to what we started with about the specialty of Aaron. There could be another message here: is that is that uh, melach, which is salt, is something that 
in a way is, is like Aharon, this idea of humility, the fact that Aharon is not looking to be the Kohen Gadol, he's not looking to be the leader, he gets this as, as, a, as a mission from God. Um, this, this is similar to salt in that nobody goes and eats salt. Salt is always there to serve another food. It's there to make the chicken soup uh, tasty. It's not there for itself. And similarly, the ultimate Kohen, the ultimate servant of God, is the one who is not looking to um, to what is what is his is not a self-centered type of a mission that's as Korah has, but rather how can I contribute? What am I needed for? And that is symbolized by Aharon. So that concludes our parsha for today. We didn't get to the whole thing or to Shavi, and uh, we'll pick it up again next week with Parshas Chukas.